0: Let's bow with prayer as we begin our service and dedicate this time to God, begin preaching time. Father, we come to you today, and we are so indebted to, your, to the salvation you give freely through Jesus Christ. And we've been focusing on the redemption, and we are so thankful for that today. Father, I pray you'd open up our hearts to your word. We dedicate this time to you, and I pray that we would be willing to listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs 2, Proverbs 2. We've begun a series in the book of Proverbs and really the first part of Proverbs. We're not intending to go through the whole book. This is a short summer series and uh, we've gone through Proverbs 1, uh, took a a couple of messages there and we've ended up in Proverbs chapter 2. If you turn your Bible there, we'll begin in verse 1. Uh, a few years ago, I was asked to go speak at a college conference uh, up in Indiana, and it was sponsored by a church that I was familiar with. I knew the youth pastor there. In fact, hes, uh, he's or I knew the college pastor there. In fact, he was a youth when I was an intern at a church. He was one of the youth group members, and so we, have, we go back a long way. And he asked me to come up and speak. And I was excited about the opportunity. I got up there. I flew up there into Indiana, into Indianapolis Airport, and um, uh, took, a, took a van to go to at the church. And then they were going to drive to a camp setting. Uh, and so I just was sitting around. I was completely at their uh, disposal. I had nothing to do except just wait. And so uh, we got in the van, and we got on the road. And I was minding my own business in the back uh, of this church van. And I heard something uh, at the front. One of the guys said something you never want to hear. He said, oh, No. And I immediately perked up, because I think I was reviewing some of my notes, and I thought, what happened? And he said, we're in trouble. That's another thing you don't want to hear. And I said, what, what is going on? He said, uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm going north. I'm supposed to be going south. And we had been driving for about 45 minutes at this point. So he had gotten off, and I think he just got in a... He was talking, and whatever happened, he got off on the interstate and went the wrong direction. Now, you can have two options at this point. You can decide that you're just going to buckle down and keep going north. <laughs> and eventually, you'll come around. I don't think there's, actually it's the way it works, but you, you could decide like a fool to say I'm not changing I'm going to bear down and just make this work or you can decide, you can realize I've made a mistake and the only way to solve this mistake is to get off and turn around and so he got off the interstate, turned around and we covered that exact same ground for 45 more minutes and we were very late to where we were supposed to go and everyone when we got there was like where were you, where have you been and he had to explain over and over again yeah I was going north instead of south I know I was an idiot When you start a journey, it's a good idea to know where you're going. It's a good idea to know how, you want to know how to get there, and you want to have a plan for how to get there. And you can get to a specific point by following different routes, that's true. But to get to a point, you must follow specific directions. You must go there. You can't, and the thing about uh, wisdom, we've been talking about wisdom and, and this idea of a path or journey of wisdom that's been used. We're calling this, the title of this message is The Quest for Wisdom. as has this idea of a journey going towards uh, wisdom. It, you know, the truth is you can't possibly know everything there is to know. The world has too much knowledge, and Ecclesiastes even talks about it. the The writing of books, there is no end, you know. The idea that you could know everything is impossible. You could never have enough information in your brain to know everything that needs to be known, but with with understanding wisdom, you can approach problems, you can approach things and come out with the right answers if you understand wisdom, but you have to know which path to be on, the path to follow. The quest for wisdom we'll see this morning requires much of the one who's setting out to find that wisdom. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline to the message this morning that will help you walk through these points in chapter two, that which you'll see. But today we're going to see that, that you're just not going to happen upon wisdom accidentally. You're not going to be walking along your path to life and stumble across wisdom. You must intentionally go towards wisdom. You must intentionally quest for wisdom. You must intentionally go. And in this morning we'll see that path for this quest towards wisdom. As we Launch into the second chapter, we'll notice it's a, like another lecture from a father to a son. Where he begins, he begins where almost every father begins his lecture, and that is with attitude. He begins with the, deal, with the issue of attitude. Read with me in verses 1 through 4. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, And lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. The word attitude does not appear in your Bible, probably. Uh, It doesn't appear in my translation. It doesn't appear in most English translations. But if you search for the idea of spirit, the word spirit actually communicates this idea of attitude throughout the Bible, this idea of having a right spirit. And that involves, attitude is about your your outlook on your circumstances and what's around you. It's about your perspective. It's about how you feel about what's happening to you and what's going on around you. And, And really controlling your attitudes... That, that control is one of the most important steps towards this quest for wisdom. We find this later in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 25, 28, he says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit, think about this like an attitude. If you have no control over your attitude, you are going to be like a city that is defenseless, that's degraded, that is mocked. It's like a city that's broken down and without walls. It can be breached easily. It has no defenses against the, the troubles that will come its way. You must be able to control your attitudes, and bad attitudes will ruin any chance you have at learning we all know this is the case you've ever taught a class before you walked into a elementary school classroom you can see sitting at the desks or even high school sitting at the desks are all these children some are eager to learn and there's one or two maybe 10 who are looking and and angry at life right they have this sour look and they're not listening they're not paying attention their attitudes make a huge difference and what are the attitudes we must have on a quest for wisdom the first attitude we must have is an attitude of reception an attitude of reception, and you say, how is that an attitude? It's an attitude of humility that willingly listens and receives wisdom. I want you to notice the big if at the beginning of this chapter. In fact, there's a couple of times I'm going to reference. You might want to take a pencil and circle the word if there at the beginning, and if you think about this as a big, what's called a conditional clause, that means this is telling us that this is a condition upon which something else will happen. So here's our condition. If you receive my words and if you treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Let's break this down. What does reception look like? It looks like receiving, receiving words, allowing words access to your inner self. Opening up your heart and removing that very harsh outer shell and letting God's words find their soil. Jesus describes. The word of God, like a seed that's scattered on a field, and there are different kinds of soils, and those soils represent different hearts. And if you are a receptive heart, a fertile ground for the soil as it works itself in, you must receive that. There's also ground described as like pavement and cobblestone, where the seed is scattered, but it does not take root. If God's word is going to make an impact on your life, you must be receptive, not not. Defensive. That's the opposite of receiving. Defensive means that you reject the words and and, and and you need to, instead of rejecting these things, you need to receive this like you would receive a gift from someone who loves you. Someone gives you a gift. Can you imagine how bad it would be to say, Oh, I don't need one of those? I'm good. No, we receive gifts. We, we receive them. We receive this wisdom. We, we should treasure. We should value this. Notice that's the next thing he says treasuring the commands, examining, thinking over them over and over again. Like, like, you, like how you treasure, you know how you treasure certain conversations? Maybe there's someone who you had a conversation with, maybe a loved one, a grandparent, a husband, a wife, a a child or something and you no longer can have those conversations but you remember that and you and you think fondly about those conversations and you treasure them and you you think about them and that's how you're supposed to think about the commands of God and wisdom you're supposed to treasure it and you're supposed to bend your ear toward wisdom inclining your ear perk up towards wisdom and lastly it's not enough just to listen it, you must apply your heart to understanding you need to apply yourself wisdom is knowledge applied knowledge in action so if this is what reception looks like what should we be receiving well we should be receiving uh, the words of god these are not just pithy sayings from dad that come from his own heart and come from his experience these are rooted in the commands and the teachings of god notice the words here treasure my commands the wisdom the words and the understanding, these are often words that are used to describe God's words. In fact, Joshua 22, be careful to take heed to do the commandment of the and the law. These are the words, the commands that he describes in Proverbs 2. The word wisdom and understanding also are used in the Bible to describe God's working. He, by wisdom he made the heavens, and then by understanding, God's understanding, Isaiah 40, 28, his understanding is unsearchable. And these words here are not just uh, just casual, pithy sayings. These are really the words of God. We are to take and internalize and receive God's word. And not only are we to receive God's word, we're to have an attitude of reception. We're to have an attitude of pursuit. And I want you to see in verses 3 and 4 that there's a progression here from listening to an aggressive pursuit of wisdom, chasing wisdom, searching after it, going after it. There's a personal commitment here, not just an acceptance. He says, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, seek for her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. I want you to notice this is a vocal pursuit. This is a vocal pursuit. Hey, hey, listen up. Hey, I, I want you. Hey, you. Wisdom, I need you. That's the picture. You're calling out for wisdom. You're you're wanting it to come to you. You need wisdom. You desire it so that you're willing to to cry out with your voice. You lift up your voice for understanding. This also can have the idea of lifting up your prayer in God. You're asking your prayer a voice in God. You're saying, Lord, please give me wisdom. I need wisdom. How vocal are you in your pursuit of wisdom? I mean, it it could be something you say, well, I I, like you read books, and I don't don't really actively pursue wisdom. You need to be vocal and excited about the opportunities to grow in God's word, to understand God's world, to understand his wisdom. And notice that it's also not only vocal, it's proactive. It is not just reactive. It is proactive. It is going after it. You have to pursue it. You cannot just let it be out there. You must be people. As people of God, we need to have an attitude of pursuit when it comes to wisdom. We need to pursue it. We need to be desiring to learn more and more. The listener needs to absorb his father's words. The quest for wisdom takes perseverance. It takes diligence. It takes hard work. I'm calling you to a job that is difficult, not a job that is easy. It takes the initiative to go And seek, and then if we do this, if we have the right attitudes, what we'll find is we'll find benefits. That's point two, benefits here. We started off with a big if statement, a big conditional, and now we find the second part of that conditional. If you have the right attitude, then you will receive several benefits. If you circled if, you might circle the word then in verse 5. And I'd like to draw a little thin line from if to then. It says, if this happens, then this. If this, then this. Then you will understand the fear of the, God, of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Notice verse 5. You will understand the fear of Yahweh. You will find the knowledge of God. You realize that one of the benefits is you will understand and you will know God. You, you will find that you know God and find his knowledge. And it takes work. God, God is not stingy with wisdom, but he does ask the, for you to pursue it and to ask him for it. it it's not like it's not available You have to pursue it, but God is not stingy when it comes to wisdom. Uh, He says in James chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him do what? Ask God who gives to all liberally or uh, without reproach. God is not going to say, oh, you had to ask for wisdom? Come on, don't you know better than that? You don't need the wisdom. What do you need wisdom for? God's not going to do that. He's not going to mock you. God isn't going to say, okay, just a little. See, we're very stingy in my house with candy. Like the kids want a piece of candy. It's like, okay, one piece. And you know what they say? Can I have two? (laughs) One. And so they get the one piece and they eat it and they say, but that was it? Yes, I'm stingy with candy. I don't want to give you like tons of candy. But you know, God is not stingy with wisdom. We say, Lord, can I have wisdom? He goes, here's a bucket of wisdom. Boom. And he gives you all the wisdom you need. Like, Why are we afraid to go to God for wisdom? He's not, going to be, uh, he's not going to be mocking you. He's not going to be withholding what you need. He gives you what you need. You will find it because he is the fountainhead of wisdom. Look at verse 6. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He... Stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Now there is a little bit of a paradox here that we can we are called to pursue wisdom with everything we have. Yet at the same time we recognize that the Lord is the one who grants wisdom. We pursue it, but God is the one who gives it. He made wisdom. He created the world through wisdom, and wisdom is found in God. We we look to the mouth of God for knowledge and understanding, and in verse 7, God wants us to be wise and have knowledge that we need to live. He says He stores up wisdom for the upright. I love that phrase. I love that picture, that God is storing up wisdom for you, prudence, that's the idea of living rightly for those who fear God. Storing up has at least three possible ideas here. One is the idea of exclusivity, that God hides wisdom. I don't think that's necessarily what's happening here. It also might be a preservation idea, that God is preserving wisdom or concealment hidden from others. I I think it's more of the idea of God is, is saving wisdom for you. Almost like you need to become a wisdom prepper. Now, you all know what preppers are. If you don't, don't worry about it. But if you start going down that rabbit hole, you'll never find the end. Preppers are people who get everything they need in case the world comes to an end. They have all of the water they need, all the food they need, all the supplies they need, first aid kits. You know, they probably have a, 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 a tunnel in their backyard that's a bomb shelter. You know, preppers. Some of you are like offended right now because you are preppers and you're like, how dare you? How dare you say these things about us and give us away? Okay. God... You know how you store up stuff? You store up food. You go and you ha- you're proud of your... I once, we once went into a house. When, when Jen and I were looking at houses, years ago, we were looking at buying a house. And we, we visited a bunch of... One of the houses we went into, this lady was a... I imagine it was a lady, maybe it was a man, I don't know. Serious prepper, like there was so much bottled water, I was afraid it was going to key, it was like in an upstairs room. We walked in, we kind of took a st- step back, there was bottled water everywhere, and diapers, and like, and like canned goods, and it was just everything. It was like all in this huge room, and we thought to ourselves, wow, well, this person's prepared. Guess what God is doing with wisdom? He's storing up wisdom for you. God is storing up wisdom for us, and God does that for us. God is the one who guards. Look at verse 8. He guards the lives of those who follow him, the paths of justice. He preserves the way of the saints, the holy ones. God you know, To understand and know God is a huge benefit of wisdom, but there's a second benefit you'll receive from having the right attitude about wisdom, and that is you can understand moral choices. When you understand who God is and you understand God's character, you begin to understand how God wants you to act. Verse 9, then you will understand. There's another then. So if you circle the if and the then, you can go and circle another then. He says you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you he says there's work of understanding here understanding righteousness and justice you should not take it for granted that everyone around you understands what righteousness is what right and wrong are I used to hear people say well everybody knows what's right and wrong no they don't have you not been watching the news? People do not know what is right and wrong. It takes a fear of the Lord to understand what is righteousness and what is wicked. You need to understand that, that, is, that God is the one who tells us what is right and wrong and righteous and just. And judge, justice here is right judgment, impartial judgment. And today our world has been perverted even in this case of justice. People talk about justice in all these perverted ways, and they have all these different descriptors on justice, and, and, and they change what godly justice is to mean whatever they want it to mean. In order to understand justice, in order to understand righteousness, you must understand God. You must come to God with the right attitude, and these benefits will flow, and you must come with God's wisdom. You need to evaluate your standards of righteousness and justice by God. You see also that you'll understand he says here in verse 9, equity, every good path that's every way forward on our, our quest for wisdom, understanding the path forward, the moral choices to be made, how they fit with righteousness. And I think a lot of times the hardest decision to make is, is, is where do you go? What path do you take? I mean, Yogi Berra once told us, when you come to this fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Which one? We we have to make a decision. You cannot take both. And here, the decision to be made is given to us by God in the sense that he gives us equity in every good path, every path that is righteous, that is good. And notice this, in the third part here is that wisdom and knowledge become a part of you. They enter your heart. They become pleasant to your soul, and you'll begin to have real moral clarity. That's the work of God of understanding. You begin to have a moral clarity, having a moral understanding. When you see something, you can identify, oh, that's wrong. And I, I don't know when things started to click for you as a saved, if you're saved, there probably was a moment when, when you started to see something in your life in the past or in the world around you, and before it wouldn't have bothered you, but all of a sudden you say, wait, wait a second. That's wrong. That, that's not good. We can't do that. That, that, Oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Whoa, I can't believe I used to do that or used to think that. Or you had a wrong thought come to your mind and say, whoa, that's wrong. This is the moral clarity that comes when you have the right attitude and you pursue wisdom. What happens, the work of, we see here, of preservation. He says discretion will preserve you. Verse 11, there is a protecting element to wisdom. When you're in the middle of a dangerous place, discretion will serve you well. It will preserve you from evil. And understanding will keep you. Now, that word keep has the idea of keeping watch. Uh, I did a little word study on this because it started to, it really interested me, this word of keeping watch over you is the same word used in a different, slightly different form in its noun form in the book of Jeremiah, verse 31, verse 6, chapter 31, verse 6, when he talks about a watchman. Look at this. There shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim. Okay, that's the only part I need you to pay attention to. A watchman is on the mountain looking out and keeping guard over this area. And do you you see what he says will happen? Understanding will be a watchman for you. It will, it will protect you. It will keep you. It'll warn you about danger. It'll warn you about incoming problems. You can see the danger before it arrives. And, and this is so, so interesting to me that normally we're called to keep God's commandments. Psalm 119, several times, Psalm one hundred nineteen twenty two. keep his commandments, keep his commandments. But right here, you know what it tells us? God's commandments are going to keep us. They're going to protect us. They're going to preserve us. Benefits Number three, we see an aspect of this benefit, but I wanted to pull it out because it is so important. We see deliverance, rescue. Wisdom will keep you from harm. Now, where is the danger coming from? The Bible identifies two big dangers in the lives of young people and, frankly, in the lives of every person here. The first aspect, the first deliverance is from the wicked man. Verse 12, to deliver you from the way of evil. Whenever you see the word way, you might as well read the word road or path, okay? That's the idea of a path. That's why we're talking about a quest for wisdom. To deliver you from the path of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths, the roads of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, who are devious in their paths couple things. Deliverance simply means that you are in danger. This is a really simple thought. One, you have to grasp that that if I say, I need, to get you, I need to deliver you, I need to rescue you, that means you're in danger and in need of rescue. Else, why would you need to be delivered? We are all in a dangerous spot. You are in a real danger of something happening to you. The world is not A kind place that treats people well. Since Genesis chapter 3, we've seen sin has had its impact on the world around us, and sin has perverted things, and the world is twisted. People are twisted. Sin is alluring. Wickedness abounds. A lot of people reject their maker. We are in a dangerous place, and notice the description of the evil man. He lives in the way of evil. He speaks perversity. His mouth reveals his heart condition. He just twists. He distorts into evil what God has made good. He, he is aware of righteousness, but what does he do? He leaves it and pursues what's evil. So he rejoices in the opportunity for people to do evil. He delights in the perversity of wicked people. His ways are crooked, not straight. He is devious in his paths. The wicked man is a dangerous thing. He is a dangerous person, and we have to be aware of friends, companions, or influences, people We watch online or watch on TV. We listen to on the radio people we pay attention to in our work, people we are friends with, people who influence us. We must be careful that they do not fit this description or else you will find yourself going down this dangerous path. And God delivers you from that. God has delivered us from this. In fact, Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, points this truth out. He says, this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world and men... Love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. People tend to enjoy wickedness. Light has come into the world, yet the wicked do not want to heed the light. They want to pretend like the light doesn't exist. The problem is not that they don't see the light. The problem is that they see the light and they hate the light. So we deal with the wicked men and we also deal with the wicked woman. And now here... The second major temptation that is faced here, the first being a companionship of friends, the idea of a friend who is your partner, a friend who can lead you towards bad things, a friend who seduces you to do bad things. The second part is a sexual temptation. It's the temptation towards sexual pleasure and sexual immorality. And if you're a female, you can understand this by just flipping it the opposite direction, by saying that there are friends. Uh, if we put point A, it might be the de- deliverance from wicked friends, and this is deliverance from wicked Uh, lovers or wicked people who might be um, uh, tempting you towards sexual sin, immoral sin. The the word here, the wicked woman in verse 16, to deliver you from the, our translation says, immoral woman. It could be a disordered woman, a strange woman, a foreign woman, not foreign in her nationality, but foreign in her beliefs. She has twisted her life. She has twisted her perspective and her purpose, and she is tempting a young man to engage in sin, which she him because she says this will be without consequences. Look with verse 16. To deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. She, she lures, she seduces, she draws by use of her words. What she says is flattery. Now, what is flattery? Flattery I like to say, is the opposite of gossip. You see, gossip is saying things around someone's back you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying something to someone's face you would never say behind their back. And, and she, she says things to your face that make you think that you're a much better person than you are, that give you all that, that puff you up, that make you think you are big stuff. She is flattering, and by flattering, she lures away. When I was a kid, my brother had a Heart trap, which is one of those big traps that you, uh, you have that you can trap uh, animals, small animals in. And they had a, we really wanted to uh, trap, I forget what it was, there was a possum or something they were trying to catch out in the woods, and so they put a, a, a lure in that trap. They put peanut butter. And, um, and they were so excited when they, they came back, they were so excited to have found this uh, animal. They, they were, you know, but it turned out it was nothing but a house cat. And that cat was angry. I mean, house cats can be mean when they have their claws. And so they ended up letting it go. But we still laughed for a long time. Like, oh, you thought that was a wild animal. (laughs) It had a collar on, you know. Like, oh, we're so big. But the lure, how did that cat end up in the middle of the woods, in the middle of that box? Because it smelled the peanut butter and it, it, it smelled it, and it went that way, and it found it, and then before it knew it, the trap had stopped. This is what sexual lust, sexual lure is. It's a it's a lure to danger, and you all that, that the person senses is the pleasure without noticing the trap is falling behind them. Notice the disloyalty of this wicked woman, verse 17. She forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. She is one who forsakes and forgets. She is not about the past. She is not about her promises, not about her loyalties. She is wicked. She is disloyal. And as the wicked man, as the foolish young man forsakes uprightness and chases after sexual sin, she also is one who has been disloyal to her God. She makes a covenant before God with her husband, who she, and she has violated. She has forgotten the promises she has made. And in doing so, she lures away foolish men verse 18, her house leads down to death and her path to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the path of life. Her house leads to death itself and her paths, her road, leads to dead people. We might think of it like the people who come out of this kind of wickedness are like zombies and ghosts. They have their life stolen from them. This is the, the end will be danger. They have forfeited their life on the altar of lust and have been lost. And God says wisdom is to deliver you from that. Without wisdom, you wouldn't know what is coming, but he says there's a danger here, verse 19. Don't go, her end of death will be your end of death. If you join yourself to engage in these lusts offered by such a woman, you will not be able to escape the death that clings to her. Now, the way of the wicked man and the way of the wicked woman both lead to death, but folly and destruction lead to death. But the person who is on the quest for wisdom has a path of life and this is the last point I want us to focus on the path of first of the living in verse 20 he makes a shift and he says so if you do these things then you will avoid these things but what is the positive end in fact some scholars believe that this whole proverb is one long sentence concludes the thought here in verse 20 so you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. If you find wisdom, if you listen and pursue, if the door opens to you, if the path opens to you, you will be able to walk in a good road, in a road that is good, a road that is, is what God has planned for you. Contrast this with the way of evil, the wicked way. Now we can keep the way of righteousness to avoid the snare, but the road that is good is not necessarily what you might think it looks like. Like you might say, a good road, smooth, easy, wide, no problems. That is not the road that Christ describes in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the way and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, but narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. The good way is not the broad way. The good way is a restricted area. It's a straight or a narrow path, but it's the path of the living. And it's a land of the living. Secondly, we see here the promises in verses 21 through 22 that he gives us the road we must stay on, but also the place we are headed towards, the land we will dwell in, the place we should aim for. And notice that he says in verse 21 that, that the upright will dwell in the land. The Old Testament promise of land, the promise is in play here. Living as God promised, was living as God intended, was was living like for the promised land or living in the promised land was part of God's intention for us, part of God's intention for the people. And the Old Testament people, as they thought about living righteously and God's blessings on them, he says, the upright will dwell in the land, the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off and the unfaithful uprooted from it. Those who dwell in the land will be blameless, complete. The ones who walk in their integrity, they're undamaged. They will live in that land. We have this Similarly referenced in Ephesians chapter 6, if you remember this, for this chapter that um, has a lot of instructions for parents and children, it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment and promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. There is a land of the living. Now, there's also a land of unfaithful, the unfaithful, the wicked here. There's a stark contrast between the wicked who will be cut off and uprooted, and the upright who will have the blessings of God. As we conclude, I have a few questions for you. First, speaking to believers, I want to ask you a few questions. What is your desire, and how is your attitude? Sometimes our attitude just stinks. You need an attitude adjustment. There needs to be some sort of attitude chiropractor out there who can pop your attitude back into place. You need to have an adjustment for your attitude and see God's, see the way things God intends for you to see them. Do you really desire the benefits that God has laid out here? Do you really want to be delivered from evil men and women? I say that with complete sincerity. Are are you wanting to get away from them as fast as possible? Or are you one who flirts with danger? Do you not mind getting close to the evil man and the evil woman, thinking that it won't make a difference? Do you want life? Or are you pursuing death? Because if you're going to grow in wisdom, the Word of God must be in you. You need to be interacting with believers, encouraging believers, and being filled with the wisdom of God. A few verses as we close. Colossians 3.16 Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. If you're going to grow in wisdom, the word of Christ has to be in you. Is God's word in you, or have you ignored God's word? Also, have you been seeking after God? There is hope for a person who seeks after God. Deuteronomy chapter 4. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Speaking about searching and seeking after wisdom, are you seeking after God like like you should be seeking after wisdom? Because the path of life belongs to God and is available to anyone who comes to him in faith. Psalm 16 says, you will show me the path of life. At your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You come to Christ in faith. And if you receive life by faith in Christ, you come to him without your own righteousness, but through righteousness given to you through Jesus, you can live a victorious life in him. You can live a life of true Christ-like wisdom. We need Christians who are willing to live a life of wisdom. And friend, if you don't know Christ, you can never know true wisdom. Because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. I want you to notice how Paul describes his life being in Christ. He says, because I'm in Christ, I have been crucified with Christ. When Christ died on that cross, he took my sins and he took my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary, suffered, and he died alone. And we can say how marvelous that he died for me. And when he died, I was crucified with him so that I died with him. And being crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Wisdom should be in you. Christ should live through you. And the life which I now live in the flesh, how does he live? I live by Christ. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friend, if you don't know Christ, you cannot live a life of wisdom because you don't know the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is greater than the foolishness of man. God's wisdom is great and by faith we can receive a gift of salvation. And when you receive the gift, when you have Christ living in you, when you have been crucified with Christ, when you live by faith, you can become a child of God. In fact, Scripture tells us that we can pursue God. It says, ask, it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Are you pursuing wisdom? Are you on the quest to wisdom? Are you on the quest to wisdom today? Or have you gotten sidetracked? Have you you realized you're still driving north and you need to go south? And if today that's where you are, what you need to do is very simple. If you're a Christian already, if you trusted Christ as your Savior and God has convicted you that you are making bad decisions need to be reversed, it's a simple, simple thing. Confess your sin. Be honest before God. Say, Lord, forgive me. I have, I've sinned in this area. I am not pursuing wisdom like I should. Please forgive me and, and help me as I repent to turn to righteousness. That is what Christians do on a regular basis. You ought to be doing it on a regular basis too. And if you find yourself going the wrong way, you need to change. Secondly, if you're a non-believer, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've, never, if you've been offering your own works as a way of heaven, you're going to find that that doesn't pay for any of your sin. And friend, today, you need to come to the Christ who died for you. Christ loves you so much. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago to save you from your sin. He died, and he took all those sins that you committed, past, present, and future, and he paid for them all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has caused a stain on my life, yet he cleansed me from that stain, and he can cleanse you too. And by knowing him, by trusting him, you can have life and life eternal and you can know wisdom, you can know understanding, you can pursue this quest of wisdom. Friend, today, if you've never trusted Christ, I beg of you, do not go out of this room until you trust Jesus. He's offering salvation today. It is on the table. Today, if you hear my voice, he says, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the day. Come to him in faith. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Father, we ask you work in our hearts. As we seek you, as we pursue you, we want to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to us. But Lord, I pray for those who may not yet know you as Savior. Today, as we gather in this room, there may be folks who live their life pursuing God by their own metric, by their own feeling, by their own behavior, by their own righteousness. Never knowing that Christ has already paid it all, he has done everything needed to be done. When he said... It is finished. You paid that debt for you and for me. For all of us here in this room. And Father, we ask today that you please work in the hearts of those folks who need to trust you. That they would say, Lord, please forgive me. I don't deserve this, but you've offered salvation, so I receive it by faith. And the Christ who died on the cross did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave, defeated death and sin and hell and now lives eternally. And Father, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of Christians in this room as well who have been embracing folly, who have not been on a quest for wisdom, but have been passive about their spiritual life. Lord, help us not to be passive. Help us to pursue. Help us to pursue. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to get you friends and give you friends an opportunity now to respond to God. And there will be an opportunity in a moment. Um, the blue cards we have in our bulletins have a little spot on the back where we ask you to fill out if God is working in your life and you'd like help with any spiritual needs or prayer requests. Or... If today you trusted Christ as your Savior, there's a box you can check there. But I would love to help you if you need to talk about salvation. I'll be at the back and I would love for you to just drop by, shake my hand, and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you for a couple minutes. We will Stop what I'm doing, and I'll connect you with someone, or I myself will take you and talk to you about Jesus Christ and how you can know for certain you have eternal life. There's no reason to go home today without getting that settled and knowing that you are one with Christ, that your sins have been forgiven, that you have peace with God. Father, we do ask now that you help each and every person as they work through these things. They would honor you. They would obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.